Hello and welcome to the Home Roots Podcast, where we feature cross-country check-ins with artists, producers, industry folks, community folks, house concert hosts, and impresarios who make up the interwoven network of music lovers, balladeers, and tune makers across the globe. Well, we're going to have to put a disclaimer, Grant, at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the episode, warning people that there's extreme saw nerdiness to follow because uh, this <laughs> this might be really in depth for some people, but I think it's really important information for us to be <laughs> delivering to our audience. So, let's not eliminate any of that. We need all of that, but uh, maybe a little disclaimer. Just warn them, you know. <laughs> song was called Changes by today's guest, Natalia Saw Lady Peruse. I'm your host, Jackson Haldane, and I'm welcoming you to an interesting interview. We're going deep, deep today, deep into the history and lore of the musical saw, a uh, subject fairly dear to my heart, as some of you may know. And there's some real sort of odd bits of information here that um, people have requested from me over the years and I haven't even had the answers to. Our guest today, Natalia Saw Lady Peruse, is going to peel back all the layers and tell us everything there is to know about the musical Saw's history. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how she's been navigating this pandemic, like the way we've 
been sort of gathering stories from all of our guests recently. So it's an interesting interview. She's really eloquent. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. So stick around, learn a little about the musical Saw, and enjoy this interview with Natalia Saw Lady Peruse. Hi, Natalia. Welcome to the Home Roots Podcast. Thank you. Hi, Jackson. So nice to be here. <laughs> wow. The, we, uh, we sure don't get to do this often, do we? have a chit-chat session with saw players about saw playing. And uh, man, this is really novel for me, and I'm really excited to get to talk to you. Well, it's always a pleasure meeting a fellow sawist. A sawyer or saw, I guess sawist is the... Uh, oh, yeah, you know, the... we've established that it's sawist and not sawyer because, um, and when I say we, I mean it's at the saw festival, uh, because there actually is a word sawyer that exists from way back and the definition, it's in the dictionary, and the definition is a person who cuts wood for uh, fireplaces. So that's why we just... Yeah, that's why we decided that, uh, you know, the musician should be a sawist. Ist, that's absolutely the appropriate uh, suffix there, isn't it? <laughs> well, let me back up a little bit so we don't totally lose our audience here. We are talking about the musical saw. <laughs> Natalia and I are both sawists. Uh, we, we both practice creating music on the musical saw. I think... Natalia is one of the most proficient people at this in the entire world. So it's incredible to have her perspective here in this conversation. Um, but we could talk a little bit to folks who haven't seen it before about the history. And I think you probably could illuminate me a bit even on this. I, I have a sense about the history, but it's all kind of third hand and none of it's very academic. So what can you tell me about the history of the musical saw? Well, uh, we think that uh, saw playing goes back at least to the 1700s. Why? Because, of course, there's no documentation, no written documentation. But I spoke with a curator of the Tools Museum in the UK, and he told me that in the 1700s, steel-made saws became affordably available. So to play a saw, you really need a saw that bounces back once you bent it. And saws before steel time uh, didn't do that. <laughs> so uh, maybe they played one note or whatever. But um, so in the 1700s, steel saws became uh, popular. They, they were everywhere. And we believe that it was started not in one country, uh, but in many places around the world without one knowing of the other. And it was started by woodcutters, lumberjacks, who were using long two-man saws. If you can imagine, in the forest, they are, they're cutting down a tree and a, a chunk of wood bounces off from the trunk of a tree and, and lands on a saw. And this sound comes out like boing. So they were like, oh, cool, let's try to recreate this. And so to begin with, saw playing was done by hitting the blade with, with a hammer or with a mallet. And to begin with, it was a folk tradition. You can imagine those lumberjacks sitting in a circle around their fire in, in, uh, on their lunch break, entertaining themselves, singing folk songs and using whatever tools they had to accompany their singing. So 
if you fast forward about a hundred years, then something very interesting happened to uh, saw playing. First of all, uh, people started using bows to bow the blade. So you got the more sing-songy, angelic, uh, spiritual, if you wish, uh, type of sound. And it became a thing for, believe it or not, clergymen and missionaries which sounds peculiar, but if you think about it for a second, the sound actually lends itself very beautifully to hymns uh, because it sounds like angels singing. And what happened was missionaries back then, um, they traveled all over the world. They could not take much with them on the boat trips. So musical instruments was not really a thing that they could afford to take with them, but saws they had to have because wherever they got to, they had to build their own churches and make their own furniture, the pews, you know. So they basically used whatever they had, the saws, to lead the congregations in the singing of hymns. And I found many obituaries from a long time ago, uh, stating that Reverend so-and-so played the saw leading the congregation in the singing of hymns. And the interesting thing is that for some reason, many, many of these priests were Lutheran. And to this day, the Lutheran church actually has a very strong tradition of clergymen playing saws. And I personally met a, a few of them uh, from Denmark, from Norway, who are still uh, playing saws today. This is so fascinating to me. The first person I ever saw play a musical saw was the pastor at my summer camp when I was in grade school. So, and I'm certain that he was of the Lutheran, you know, de designation. And oh my God! So you sacred, sacred saw. You got Amazing. So history in in in, <laughs> in person. And, and I didn't even know. Wow! Wow! Amazing. Oh, that okay. is so cool. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> that makes me very happy. Uh, so, okay. So if we fast forward now another 100 years. Saw playing became part of the popular uh, musical vernacular. Uh, in Europe, uh, it was used, uh, okay, in England, in, in uh, music hall performances, uh, in France, in Austria, and other places, uh, clowns took hold of the saw and introduced it into their circus act. And uh, in North America, of course, the saw uh, became very popular in vaudeville performances. So much popular that actually there was hardly any uh, vaudeville show without a saw player in it. They played as part of bands that used to play as the opening act for the shows. Uh, they played for um, dance bands. They, uh, and they were part also of, uh, of comedy acts where a person would come on stage and uh, would uh, sit on a chair and the chair would wobble. So the person would take a saw, cut off a piece off of the, one of the legs of the chair to even it out. And then he would sit on the chair and play the saw that he just used. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so in the, the end of the um, 19th century and into the 20th century, those were the, the, the there was the heyday of the musical saw. It was very popular. It was everywhere. But then something happened, actually a few things happened uh, to make it almost disappear. 
And what happened was, and this is around World War II. So first of all, the war happened. So all the men went to war. And back in those days, most saw players were men. So the men went to war. There was no one to teach this art form to the next generation. Also, at the same time, to play saws, you need new saws that are not rusty. And in those days, saws were not made because all the, the metal was needed for the making of ammunition. So there were no new saws. So that also contributed to the loss of this, the popularity of this art form. And vaudeville, the place where saw players uh, made a living at, vaudeville ceased to exist. It uh, morphed into other things. So for all these things combined, and probably also the shifting of what was popular in, in music, saw playing nearly disappeared. So much so that today when I play, so many people come and ask me, oh, did you invent this? And I'm like, no, no, actually, it's really old. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, people today don't know much about it. So it's great heyday is the vaudeville era. And in that particular uh, genre of entertainment is where it found it, the height of its popularity? Yes, exactly. And the interesting thing is that if you look at old vaudeville notices where saw players are advertising themselves or where the shows are advertising saw players, so many of them advertise themselves saying, so-and-so is the inventor of the saw playing or so-and-so is the only saw player in the world or... And this is all tongue-in-cheek, we know. And, and they knew back then, too. Yeah. yeah. They knew that there were lots of others, but it just made a kind of a fun uh, advertisement. Oh, wow. What a, what a great little roundup on the history of the musical saw. Thank you for that. That's, uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that are curious. I get asked so many questions about it, and, and it's nice to know a little bit more about its uh it's a lot of people a lot of people have an erroneous perception of the the history they think that it only started in appalachia uh and they think it started like in the in the um beginning the, the turn of the 19th into the 20th century but this error is largely due to a, a small mistake that a friend of mine made um I think it was like in the 1950s, I'm not sure when exactly. No, possibly the 70s, I don't remember. Jim Leonard, Jim Supersaw Leonard wrote a book about the musical saw. And he went around and he interviewed a lot of old timers about their remembrance of this instrument and its history. And he spoke with um, uh, Clarence Marcel, who was the, um, owner of the Bassell and Westphal musical saw manufacturers. They are the oldest still going manufacturers of saws, especially for music in the United States. And what happened was Clarence told Jim about his own ex personal experience of how he discovered the musical saw. He saw it in a vaudeville show of um, the Weaver brothers and Elviri, their sister. Uh, they were very uh, famous uh, vaudevillians who played saws. So Jim erroneously, somehow in the book, it got mentioned as if that was the beginning of saw playing. Somehow it, it didn't come through that this was just the beginning for Clarence, not for the, the entire art form. But because of that, a lot of people were um, uh, quoting from this book. And that's why today a lot of people think that it just started 
in the, uh, you know, back then <laughs> in vaudeville. I'd like to know, because you run in a bit of a different circle musically than we're used to, you know, the folks we're used to dealing with who are like folk musicians, I think you're, sounds to me like you have like a, maybe more of a, a foothold in the classical world and that maybe that makes up a, a bit of, of your income at the end of the year. Um, I'm curious to know, how does your career look or did it when we were somewhere conventional but maybe you can outline for the audience sort of what life looked like for you on a weekly basis in terms of your professional career and then you know how things have changed and anything you want to say about the new world you're grappling with right so pre-covid <laughs> um life was full of uh, a very diverse type of uh, performing with the soul. I did, yes, I did busking for uh, more than 20 years in the New York City subway. That's uh, my favorite uh, type of performance. Uh, at the same time, I also played the soul with uh, orchestras. Believe it or not, there are classical pieces written, composed with musical soul parts in it, even by well-known composers uh, such as Ram Kachatorian in his piano concerto, there is a beautiful solo for a musical soul. Um, as well as performing in vaudeville type shows, Coney Island uh, shows, as well as doing uh, session work, you know, recording for uh, movie soundtracks, for uh, TV commercials, for uh, singer songwriters who may want to have musical soul on one of their songs. Um, and even performing in cemeteries, believe it or not, which is uh, a new thing here in New York City. So um, the soul really enables me to uh, have a very diverse career, so it's never boring. Um, every day is a totally new type of venue, totally different uh, type of atmosphere and a different type of music. So it, it was very exciting. <laughs> Sounds very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> But then, of course, like you said, um, COVID happened and everything got canceled. I was supposed to go on tour uh, of Israel and Poland in June, and that, of course, got canceled and all my other gigs, everything got canceled, including playing in the subway. Not only is it not allowed right now, but nobody wants to because it's, uh, it's just too scary. And the subway is, is um, empty. You know, people only take it if they absolutely have to these days. So, um, yeah, life came to a sort of standstill. And um, at first it was very confusing and even devastating. I sort of felt like without performing, I don't recognize myself anymore. I don't really know who I am anymore. I'm not me. So it's, 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 it's weird. But you try to do whatever you can. So, of course, I did Zoom performances, Facebook Live performances like everybody else. Um, but to tell you the truth, I don't really like it because it puts such a barrier between you and the audience. And for me, particularly as a busker, communication is like the essence of performance. And for me, the music is really a tool or an excuse for communication. And so I like to interact with, with my audience, see them face to face, feel the energy, and it's an exchange of energy. It's not just an energy that goes from the performer to the audience, but it's also very much back from the audience to the performer. 
and all this I don't feel on Zoom. And together with that also, the, what I think is a really bad sound that one gets on Zoom. It's not really like a live performance. I've actually said no to, to quite a few Zoom invitations after I've done it for a while. And I am now um, trying to uh, learn how to get a, a revenue from streaming music, you know, online uh, music. So I just recently, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, I released my third album, which you could say is actually kind of thanks to the sheltering in place situation. It is an album that I actually started a few years back. I put out an EP with the intention of making it grow into an album, but life happened and I never got around to doing it. So now thanks to sheltering in place, all of a sudden I did have time. So something good actually came out of it and I finally put out my third album, which is called Playing on the Edge. Great name. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, what an experience you lay out there. It's so nice that there's a little bit of a silver lining, you know, it's there's there's so much heavy news with this, but it's nice to hear that you've you've had something good come of it and a new album release is always a great thing. Thank you. <laughs> curious about your experience so many of our peers as musicians often make a, a fair bit of their income teaching but the saw is a bit of a particular beast that way in that there's about you know 
10 minutes of mechanics to teach someone and then there's a lot of woodshedding involved and that's always been my perspective on it you come from a bit of a more maybe academic place with it so i'm curious if maybe you don't share that perspective and that maybe you do make some of your income off of teaching i'm just curious about that because i can spend about four minutes with someone and then it's like okay go do your homework Yes, no, I totally agree with you. And uh, whenever people approach me about lessons, I always tell them uh, to first just get a saw and try it on the, by themselves and maybe they'll just figure it out. Because actually, I don't know if you know, this is the old time tradition of this instrument. You don't go for lessons. You try it by yourself. If you succeed, it means you're meant to be a saw player. If you fail, forget about it. This art form is not for you. That's how they used to do it in the old days. But today, of course, yes, I teach and other people teach. But um, it is only a a one-time lesson. I only had one or two students who actually returned for a second lesson. But mostly it is a one-time lesson. I teach the mechanics, but also I give specific exercises that they could be practicing, various types of scales. But also uh, what I do with people is I look at their bodies and how their bodies relate to the saw because it is important to play in an as much an ergonomic way as possible particularly with this instrument because you are bending steel it's like a workout and you're constantly bending it to one side so like for me i think i have an imbalance in my my shoulders one shoulder blade now is is lower than the other because of years and years of bending steel to one side and that creates pain in your 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 back basically and also uh in your your left arm the bending arm and the 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 thumb so it is very individual um playing a saw is more individual i think than than playing other instruments because the relationship of the length of the blade to the length of your torso, the length of your bending arm, it all will alter a little bit what will work for you. And there is no right or wrong in saw playing. It's whatever gets you sound out of the blade. Uh, Most people play sitting down, but for some it's better to play standing up. Uh, For some it's better to play kneeling on the floor. Most people uh, hold the blade with the teeth facing them and they bow on the outside, but some people, it's hard for them to reach on the outside, so they they flip the saw to the other side, the teeth would face the audience and they bow on the inside. So, you know, you find whatever works for you. I really relate to the idea of energy efficiency because there is so much force involved and sustained playing on that instrument for periods of time it requires a lot of energy and dexterity. And I find that I always like to warn people that your, your hand, your left hand, if you're, if, if you play the way I do is going to use some muscles, it's never really used before. So when you start, I always give people the advice to play for short durations at a time, then take a little break then come back at it. Um, I think that there's, (laughs) you're really training some new muscles there in, in many ways and training them to, to do something that they've never done before. And so I really relate to energy efficiency because you are going to spend so much time in, in a grip, right? And um, the idea behind it is there's always a double bend in the saw for our audience who can't envision this. You're always kind of shaping the, the saw blade into an S curve. And only when it achieves that double bend 
is it really capable of sustaining a pitch for for a period of time and that's when you can create the music so um there's you know it's it's a you're constantly kind of tweaking the saw and bending it and, and, and applying quite a bit of force in many cases the higher the the note the the more probably tension you'll have on the blade so it's something really important i think and what i've found um for me is really useful is sitting down i have to sit down i have to be able to shake my right leg a little bit to create vibrato and i also find that my uh managing pitch and and i'll have much better pitch when i feel like there's a collaboration in the um, in the manipulation of the forces between my, my right thigh and my left hand. When I can get those two sort of sets of muscles to really work together, my ability to hit pitches and to stick them is way, way better. And I feel like I get a tactile sense of pitch almost after time because force is such a huge part of the experience that by the time you've done it for a while, you feel pitch. Totally, totally, yes, that's right. Uh, because there's no indication on the blade of where the notes are. So it is very much a combination of your listening to yourself and the feel of where the notes are. And yeah, it's, uh, it's not easy. Maybe that's why there aren't that many saw players. <laughs> I think that's a bit of it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Natalia, for taking time with us on the Home Roots podcast today. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I could not imagine having a more satisfying nerd out on the saw, and I don't think there's a, probably a better person in the world for me to be able to get that experience from. So, wow, what, a, what an honor and what a treat. Thank you. Thank you for, for introducing me to Canada. <laughs> yeah, really, that was... That was fun. Really fun. It's so fun talking with you. Yeah, we could talk yeah. on for hours. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. I'm I'm sure there's so many so many things we could talk about. Thanks, Grant, for setting it up. And uh, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, folks. That is some interesting content if you're me, and uh, perhaps you found it just as interesting. Natalia saw Lady Perus. Thanks to her for taking the time to be on the show. Thanks to you for tuning in. Thanks to Grant Simpson, our producer, for taking care of all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Thanks to Home Roots. And see you next episode. <laughs>